Good morning, church. Good morning, city life. Good morning, visitors, friends, Facebook friends, um, online people. Glad to be with all of you guys this morning. Glad to be bringing the word for us again. Before all this started, I said to us on a Sunday, I struggle with the intro, I struggle with what to say, and now even doing it like this digitally that has compounded. I don't know who to welcome. I don't know who to be thankful for being here. But if you're listening to this, I'm thankful that you're listening to this. Um, when all of this started, when all of this quarantine season started to become a reality, uh, every Sunday I would start out talking a little bit more specifically about what our faith informs about this quarantine, COVID, sickness, all of this. And I've kind of, I haven't done that in the last couple of weeks, uh, but today I just felt a really strong push, a strong encouragement from the Lord to speak specifically to the people in our community, City Lifers. You know, this speaks to everyone if you're listening and you're not a part of City Life, but this is a special encouragement that I've felt all week for our church. For if you go to City Life, if we're your spiritual home, uh, I just felt this encouragement today. Now, I've been thinking about this week, uh, David fighting Goliath has been in my mind a lot. And 1 Samuel 17, chapter 17, if you want to go read that this week, you read and you find out the reason why David was so confident in fighting, going up against Goliath. And it's because God had already spared him. He already saw him through fighting a bear and a lion. And he knew who God was, and he knew that our God was victorious, and so he stood up to Goliath when everyone else was afraid because he knew that God never loses. And so I just, uh, in our prayer calls this week, I've been reading out of James chapter 5, and especially verse 8, eight or 7, when it says, um, establish your hearts and know that the, com- that the Lord is coming back. And so my encouragement for us this week is, City Life, don't fall asleep on this season. Don't fall asleep on your life. Don't fall asleep on your calling. Don't fall asleep on so many different parts of your life right now that it's so easily that we could fall asleep on. No, in no area resign yourself to what's going on right now in the world. Don't just say, okay, what's happening? I'm just going to lie down. I'm going to wait until this. I'm going to keep my head down. Like, please uh, do not follow that encouragement. <laughs> Don't fall asleep. Don't emotionally fall asleep. Don't spiritually allow yourself to go to sleep. And also physically, find ways to stay active. Let's not be lazy in any parts of our life in this season. This season, like every other season, is still one that we pursue health. We still want to be vital. We still want to be pursuing one another and God. Our relationship with the Lord, no matter what comes, even to the point of death, we don't let it go. And we don't compromise that. We don't fall asleep. So I I fear that so many will will fall asleep in this season. And so uh, I pray that everything that we do as a church, everything that we do when, when any of us get together is not just another activity, is not just another thing to do, but that really deeply it's, a, it's just a time where we're coming together with our hearts in our hand and our hearts are meeting together and with the Lord. No, we're not interested in, in just filling up your schedule. We're all tired of Zoom calls. I read a post that Gladys, an article that Gladys wrote, uh, shared on her Facebook about why Zoom is so tiring. And we're all there. We all agree. This is not ideal. But let's not fall asleep. You know, three times a week, I'm, we're still on these prayer calls. Monday night, Wednesday noon, 
and Friday morning. Join those prayer calls. Let's not fall asleep on prayer. Our church needs to leave this season being a prayer-filled church. If you have my number, reach out to me. I'm here. I am the lead pastor of our church, and I want to be living my life with you. And so if you have my number, don't hesitate to call me. If you don't, email me at, P, at my City Life email. It's a Reese at citylifenj.com. Email me. We want to be a part of our lives, all of our lives. We want to share. Our call to be a church has in no way been affected in this season. And so don't fall asleep. Let's stay active. Let's stay healthy. Let's take care of the people that we know and love in our family, in our church. And uh, at some point, we're going to be able to worship together. And at some point, we're going to be able to celebrate our God together in the same place. And so we pray that that's sooner rather than later. And so uh, I just want to pray for our City Life Church right now. I just want to pray as, as pastor that God uh, is overseeing all of us and that the Holy Spirit is doing the work in all of our lives that we need Him to be doing. And so let me pray for you. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this community and this body that you have placed us in. I pray for every single person hearing this right now, Lord. Holy Spirit, you know exactly where we are, exactly when we are, where our hearts are, where our souls are. Lord, I pray that you administer to us. Keep us together as a body, Lord. In this season, Lord, we need you, not more than ever, because we are always in need of you. Our life is always dependent on you. The Holy Spirit, help us to get through this. Help us to love one another and serve one another. And as we're going to read today, help us to be a slave to your gospel and to one another. Jesus, I love you. We love you. We trust the work that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Our word for today, we're stepping into Mark again. We're continuing where we are in Mark chapter 10, verses 32. But before we go there, I just uh, I want to talk a little bit. One of the privileges of being pastor, and also one of the curses in a way, is that I get to live my life in front of everyone. I get to jump in front of you guys in person or on this and tell you about what God is doing in my life, what, how he's changed me. And so, if you had known me a long time ago, you would have met a very different person. You would have met probably one of the most arrogant people that you've ever met, one of the most self-absorbed people that you might have ever met. Uh, I really feel like I had a world-class level of pride in my heart. Somehow I was the shyest kid you'll ever meet. And also somehow I was super arrogant and prideful. I want to tell a, an embarrassing story. A story that I really, really did not want to share today. Uh, it's super embarrassing and I don't, I don't know if I've ever even really expressed this out loud. But growing up, when I really became serious about my faith in college, uh, I, I discovered who Hillsong United were. And at least once a year, they would come to the New York, New Jersey area. And me and my family would go uh, every time. If they were around, we would go to it. And when I went to this concert, you know, I had such a funny, interesting, distorted view of myself. I had such a high view of myself that I would go to these concerts and I would ask God to be like, God, call me to something great at this concert. Like, give them a word for me, specifically me. Like, call me out by name. I'm here for you. Make me great. Make me great. Even, shoot, even if they want to call me on stage and ask me to go on tour with them, like, oh, God, like, that would be so good 
do that. I want I want my greatness that I feel inside of me to re be reflected. I want that calling to greatness, you know. I wanted to do great things for the Lord, and I thought that that meant you had, like, that I was so great already, and I wanted to show it off. And, and concert after concert, like, I would... I know realistically it was not going to happen. There was a place in my heart, I cannot lie, that I was like, God, I'm so great. Like, call me to something great in front of people so that they can see it. And concert after concert, it, <laughs> it did not happen. Uh, I was never called. They never prayed for me. Um, yes, it just never happened. I wanted so much to be doing something great for the Lord that I thought it meant that like I had to be made great that that the thoughts the distorted thoughts that I had about myself would be true if other people saw it and so today that's a lot of what we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about our humble savior and how he disciples and how he guides and how he matures his group of disciples who often did the same who often got the wrong picture who often thought too highly of themselves and were not in line, in tune with what Jesus was doing and what he kept on telling them. Today we're going to talk about the third and the last time that Jesus foretells his death, he predicts his death, and then we'll see this struggle for greatness coming up and what Jesus has to say about it. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. I'll read it for us, I'll pray for us, and then we'll go into the word for this week together. And so God's word says this, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. And they were on the road, going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was happening to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you, are, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I drink, or to be baptized in the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard of it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them with their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Please pray with me as we, as we go into further into the Word. Jesus, Holy Spirit, 
Father, I, we just invite you into this time. I just give you free reign to speak to our hearts, to speak to our minds, to speak to where we are in this season, Lord. Holy Spirit, as we dive into your word, as we dive into what it means to be a servant, what greatness really is, Lord, for all of the embarrassing stories and experiences that we bring into today, for all the times where our pride has gotten in the way, Lord, we just ask for you to come and understand and help us to understand what real service looks like, what you really were doing when you came here. Holy Spirit, we give you this time. No matter where we are, you can overcome every obstacle. And so we just ask you to have your way. Illuminate your word to us today. Pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have this really interesting story. Two stories, really. Where they're on the road, they're going to Jerusalem. They know that something significant is happening. This is the third time, third and final time that Jesus tells them about his death. So they know they're going to something. They know that Jerusalem is something important, something big, something that they don't even understand is happening. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gives them a clearer picture, the clearest picture up until now of what's going to happen to him, of why this is going to happen. And then we get these two disciples of him, two of the top three of the inner circle, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come and ask them something. And Jesus just straight up says, you don't, know, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't understand. And then Jesus starts talking to them about servanthood, what that really looks like. And so, like every good sermon, uh, we have three things to talk about today. And the first one is just... We're just calling it the last prediction, the last thing Jesus had to say about his death before it actually came into being. I've, I've been reading into this story. This is, we're taking all of Jesus's narrative, all of what Mark has to say. We're, we're starting to build this crescendo, going up this dramatic hill here. It's building all towards this one thing. And this is just such a, I think one of those types of scenes that just sets the mood so perfectly. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we were talking about what God has to, what Jesus says about marriage, and then about our kids, and then about how we live our lives, our lifestyle, what we do with our riches, and and all of the things that are like the one big thing or the couple of big things that you can't live without. You know, he met this young ruler that he, the Bible says that he he looked at him and he loved him, and so to help him, he told him to get rid of the the one most important thing, the one biggest obstacle, and he couldn't do it, and he walks away. And then all of a sudden, we're just thrown on into this road. We're thrown on into verse 32, and it just says that they're on the road. Okay, they're going to Jerusalem. This is the third time that he's talking about his death. And so they all know what's, what they're, uh, at least in part, they know that something big is happening. And look at all of these things. Look at all of these emotions that play here. It says that Jesus was walking ahead of them. Super significant. It says that some were amazed, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And then he starts to, he brings the 12 to him. All, all of these emotions juggling at the same, all of this tension in one story, in one place. You know, thank God, thank Jesus, that he is the type of savior, not, who, not only who would leave heaven and come here, but that he is the one walking ahead, 
right there, even that theological significance all over the place. That Jesus, that they were amazed of his determination, of his ferocity, that he was headed towards Jerusalem, headed towards his death, headed all, towards all of the danger that he has warned them about. That Jesus is out ahead of them. It's such a little detail that Mark so powerfully uses in, the, in, in his gospel. That Jesus, I read one where, uh, that he is the captain of our salvation. I just, I, I love that. Jesus is fiercely going towards the cross. He's eagerly and determined. The look of determination that might have been on his face to make the people, to make some be amazed, must have been incredible. Must have been a sight to see. And then we also see here that there were some who were afraid, and those who followed were afraid. That maybe even the people who are more perceptive or maybe more spiritually in tune knew really what was happening. And so there was this determination on Jesus' face, on his actions. He was fiercely going towards the cross, towards his death. And yet there were also some who just were afraid. And we're not told about what some, I'm sure, were afraid of their own safety. Most, I'm sure, were afraid of their own safety. But even maybe some were afraid that something would happen to their beloved Savior. You know, I love how here in, in Jesus' prediction, his last prediction, he calls himself the Son of Man again. Because it brings us back to that Daniel 7 passage about the Son of Man who is victorious, who never loses, who will reign and will be given all of dominion by, the, by God himself. And yet we see that Jesus says that he will be taken by the chief priests and by sorry, the Gentiles, and that he will be mocked, he will be spit on, he will be flogged, and he will be killed. Now, there's, a, there's something powerful here that I felt convicted all week to share, and really for a couple of weeks, and I just haven't had the words or haven't had, honestly, the courage at times to share. That sometimes God's answer for us is not that we will be delivered from bad things, but that the God's answer will be that he is marching ahead of us through difficulty. That not only is he with us, he's in us, but that he is going before us. And that he promises that we will never left forsaken and that we're never left alone without him. You know, sometimes in life that is the beauty that we get to experience with God is that we go through things with him and not alone. And so it's a powerful reminder for all of us in the seasons of life where we're just juggling all of these emotions. Right now, I'm sure there are days when it's easy and enjoyable and you love being at home with your kids or your spouse or even just by yourself. And then there are days where you just want to cry all day long. Now, I remember an instance like this in my life, not from this quarantine, but before. Ann and I, when it came time for Ann to give birth uh, to Ryan, we were so excited. We were so excited. But there was always this stress because Anna and I were part of a Christian healthcare co-op and we, we weren't insured and in the traditional way and so we had to pay for everything up front. And then minutes before Anne gave birth, she minutes before, like 15 minutes before Anne started to push Ryan out, uh, a representative from the hospital came to us and said, okay, hey, we need 
X amount of dollars right now, uh, north of $10,000, and in the moment I just froze and I didn't know what to do. This was like the, supposed to be one of the most precious moments in my entire life. My first kid, my son, coming into this world, me and my wife, we get to experience this together. You know, I've said this before, I went in there with no, I wanted to see nothing, I just wanted to hold Anne's hand and probably close my eyes the whole time. I ended up helping way more than I ever wanted to and seeing way more than I ever planned on seeing. But in that moment, like some of that was robbed from me. And my heart, I was juggling, oh, I'm being happy, being elated, being thankful for this new little life in my life. And I, I have to be honest, I couldn't get the money out of my head. It's these times here where we're just juggling the good and the bad when, when we see Jesus in front of us and we're so mo we want to be so motivated and we're amazed by him, but that also we can, some can be afraid. Thank God that we are never left alone and that Jesus is the one walking before us. Because that, that starts to ask us the question of can we drink, that Jesus asked, can we drink this cup and can we be baptized in this baptism that we're going to talk about next, which I've just been calling uninformed request. Starting from verse 35, I've been breaking it off between 41, 42. Uh, but in, in verse 35, we see that right after Jesus gives this prediction of these horrible things that are going to be happening to their master, and their friend, their leader, and this guy that they've already started to call and see that he was special, that he was the Messiah. When we see that Jesus says that he is going to be mocked and spit on and flogged and killed, we see that James and John go up to him at some point, it does, it does, we don't know when, but at some point still doesn't matter. They start saying to him, hey, Jesus, do, do for us whatever, do for us what we ask you. Don't ask any questions. Just, if I'm going to ask you something right now, please promise me that you'll do it. And Jesus, because he's wise and because he probably knew what was on their heart in some way, does not say yes, um, but he asks them, okay, what do you want? What is it that you want me to do? And they, and they ask him, hey, Jesus, can one of us sit on your right hand and one of us sit on your left? In your glory, when your kingdom comes, when you are exalted, when you are this uh, victorious son of man, hey, can we just sit one on your right and one on your left, the two most prominent seats, the two most public seats of power, you know, the right hand resembling where Jesus sits at the Father's hand right now, and then the left one, I don't know, maybe they wanted to scoot God over, the Father over a little bit and sit on his left instead of God. Um, just goes to show you what they really were uninformed. They did not know what they asked. And then Jesus asks them a pretty question, pretty perfect question. First, he says, you actually you don't know what you're asking for. You have no idea what you're asking for on multiple, multiple different levels. All you can see is what you gain. All you can see is what that you want to be lifted high. And he starts talking to them about a cup and a baptism. You know, it's in verse... Um, 38. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that that I drink or be baptized by the with the baptism with which I am baptized? And so that already, that should ask us uh, should be sounding alarms for us left and right. Lord, what are you talking about? Jesus, what are you talking about? They asked a pretty clear question. You start talking about a cup and you start talking about a baptism. And so we we've got to talk about these two things. 
what is it? Because the cup, I think, uh, most naturally, we might as, uh, assume that he's talking about communion, you know, the Lord's table. Shortly after this, he'll institute the Lord's table, which, is, which was something that they did in Passover. But that's not exactly the best picture here. What Jesus is saying to them is, are you willing to suffer with me? And we're not just talking about suffering like, like oh, being sad or, or not getting what you want. But are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to die for me? If we fast forward to his story a little bit in the Matthew account, we see that at the night that Jesus gets captured, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He brings the, the top three disciples, the inner circle disciples, James and John, the same two guys, and Peter. He asks them to pray with him. And then starting in verse 39, he's, Jesus starts to pray to the Father. He starts to pray in anguish and not looking forward to what he has to do. It, it really goes up with this determination that Jesus had. But in this moment, Jesus is teaching us so many powerful things. And he prays to the Father and says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He says, Lord, this cup here, we see this cup again. He says, Lord, I don't want this cup. I don't want this suffering. But your will be done. And then he talks to the disciples a little bit because he catches them sleeping. He's like, oh, James and John, you want to be so good, but you can't even stay awake when I'm praying. But that's for another day. And then in 42, he starts, verse 42, he starts praying again. And he says, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This cup, James, John, can you drink this cup with me? Are you willing to suffer with me? And all of these mixed emotions, you see, that Jesus is going to towards the cross, that he's determined that he is fiercely fixated on the cross, going towards his mission, doing what the Father wants him to do. And then we see him ask for it, that even him, the Son of Man, this Messiah, in his humanity, shows us how to go to God with our problems, our deepest problems, the dark soul of the night type problems, and ask Jesus, but ultimately say, and honestly say, Lord, your will be done and not mine. James and John, can you do that? And he also talks about this baptism. Like baptism for us uh, is a public expression of your willingness to follow Jesus. You're telling the world and yourself that you are following Jesus. But the symbol of baptism is that you are dunking yourself in the water, that you are going toward, you're willingly putting yourself in the grave, that you put yourself to death, and that the person that comes out is a new creation, is a creation that does not live for selfish needs anymore, that does not live for what you want out of your life, your career, or any other thing, insert, insert blank here, but that you are living for Christ and the gospel and God and to share the world, share this Jesus to the entire world. And he asked them, James, John, can you guys suffer with me? Can you drink this cup that I'm about to drink? Can you put yourself to death like I am putting myself to death right now? Can you do these things? And their answer, 100%, every time should have been, Jesus, no, we can't do this. We obviously can't do this. And even if we did, even if we died and we suffered, we would not accomplish what you're accomplishing that you're dying for the sins of the whole world and all of creation now. Like, Jesus, I can't do this. 
We can't do this. None of us would have been able to. But because they had this view of themselves, this desire for greatness and for influence or for power or whatever it may be, in verse 39 they say, we are able. It just simply says, they say, we are able. And what a stark, what a stark comparison we see there, that even Jesus, the night of his betrayal, was afraid of this, that he was determined, that he was fierce, that he was going down. Nothing would have ever kept him from the cross, but even he asked for it to be kept from him. And we see that <laughs> these two guys here, so callously and so uninformed, say, yeah, Jesus, we can do that. Jesus goes on right after they say we are able to and say, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And here we see that Jesus is telling him, hey, you will drink of this in this cup. You will be baptized like this. But they, they, they missed it because all they could see was that their request for greatness, their hunger for greatness and power and to be exalted. I'm sure it was a lot of things. But that really leads us into the last section for today. That's just simply ransom. Let's talk about this ransom. I love, this is one of the most hopeful, one of the most loving portions of all of Jesus's life in the Gospels, of what he has to say. He starts talking here in 42 and he starts talking to them and showing them, hey, you have this idea of greatness, you have this idea of power, you have this idea of, of what it takes to be good or great or influential in this world. But that is nothing like what the kingdom of God is all about. 43 says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But that shall not be among, not be so among you. That the kingdom doesn't work like that. One of the things that I, I love about this, the final prediction and this ransom, is that if any, if you've heard anyone, if you've seen in the news Christians who blame Israel, who to this day say that it was the Jewish people who killed Jesus, and so they are never. That is such a poor reading of scripture. You do not know Jesus's story because Jesus here makes intentionally saying, hey, the chief priests will take me, but I'll be handed over to the Gentiles. And so no one is without blame. No one is exempt from Jesus's death. It was both Israel and the Gentiles, all of us. We all, all of our evil, the world's entire evil was laid on Jesus. And it wasn't just one or the other. And Jesus here is saying, you know, the way the world works, that is not the way my kingdom works. That is not what true greatness is here. A couple of years ago, I, I stumbled on this uh, quote from Napoleon, you know, the great French conqueror, and he said this about Jesus. It says, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour millions of men would die for him. Uh, I, I love that quote because 
power that this world knows and accepts has it looks nothing like what the kingdom says. Here he's, he's talking about Gentiles and lording over them and authority. But he said, no, 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 that is not how greatness works in the kingdom. You know how it looks? It looks when you become a servant to all, then you're great. When you become a slave to all, a slave to your brother, a slave to the gospel, then you're great. Verse 45, Jesus is like a mission statement for what he came to do, how he is great. It says, for even the Son of Man, remember this Daniel 7 character, who never loses, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. I think really quickly, really briefly, we need to talk about slavery because that is such an ugly picture um, and I just don't want that to steal from the significance from this. You know, slavery always has never been a good thing. There's, there will not be slaves in heaven, and so it's not a God-endorsed thing. But today, I, I just want to strip it of some of the um, fear around slaves. Slavery in Jesus' day looked a bit differently. It wasn't uh, tied to your identity. It wasn't racial. It wasn't all of like the, the horrible horrible, inhumane things that we know about it in the modern world. You know, when you were a slave back then, it was much more about the decisions you made, mistakes, it was, uh, you were taken from war, and so it was just, it was just a little different. Because I don't want it to rob of when we say, oh, that we are slaves to one another, that Jesus tells us to be so committed to serving Him, so committed to serving one another, that it's like we're slaves, and that's, that's what we live our entire lives for. You know, Jesus founded his ministry, his kingdom, was not on power, was not on this influence, and that was not on gaining political control. It was not about building his own earthly kingdom, like what, like what the disciples wanted him to do, like what so many people expected him to do. But what is it all about? It's all about service. That you are great in the kingdom when you serve. That you are great in the kingdom when you realize that you had this debt that you couldn't pay. You know, from us to God, all of creation to God. We had this debt that we could not pay. And that Jesus, from the second Adam and Eve took that bite was headed towards the cross. Like we only even think about his earthly life and how he was headed towards the cross. But how every decision, every prophecy, everything in the Old Testament up until his life, he was marching towards the cross. That Jesus saw that there was this debt that needed to be paid and none of us could ever pay it, but that it only could come out of a perfect sacrifice. You know, I, 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 in my life, I have a lot of commentary uh, that I think is also especially informed of me being an immigrant out of my immigrant experience, but that the kingdom of God grows during persecution, that it, it does not need political power, it does not need cultural power, but that we gain influence. Jesus tells us that we change the world through service, not through necessarily having the president in office, not through being the coolest group in the bunch, but by service. The people will know that we belong to Jesus by the love that we show one another. Weeks ago, months ago, I think, I preached on how seduced all of our hearts are to power. How even in our personal faith, we never feel like if we're not winning, if we're not successful, if God's not speaking to us every day, if we're not having revelation that we might feel 
like we are losing, but that there are times of great loss where we are growing more than we ever could without it. That even in our faith, that this kingdom that grows like a seed, it does not grow out of being the most powerful person in the room, but being the most service-oriented person in the room. I, I love that God chose to build his kingdom like this. That God would become a man, that he would, what theologically we say, he condescended down to us. He would come here and he would be the first one to march towards the cross every time. It's just amazing that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. What does that mean for the rest of us? How is, does that inform us to live our lives? Now, I love that we have this drama and the one, this drama of people being amazed, of Jesus' determination, of some people being afraid, and then of this two request that they didn't even know what they were asking for, just like me at that Hillsong conference. I didn't know, I don't know what we're asking for. I don't know what we mean by like being great and being powerful. But Jesus tells us very clearly, it's about service. It's about loving our Father. It's about being so committed and giving our lives until we drink of that cup, until we experience that baptism. And so in conclusion, I think that we need to fast forward this story a little bit. And let's look at the two men that were requested and see when they experienced the resurrected Christ, when they experienced their Messiah, how everything changed. As I was praying and studying this week, the, the one phrase that I just kept on hearing in prayer, in my study, was God just saying, you do not know what you're even asking for. I felt that on so many different levels. When I was young and so prideful and I wanted to steal the world for Jesus in all the wrong ways, I just, I can feel God over and over again saying to me, when I put myself back there, you just, just wait a little bit. You don't know what you're asking for. And I, I, I just love what happened to James and what happened to John. Now after this, Jesus is taken. He is spat on. He's mocked. He's flogged. He's killed. But also in that foretelling, and every time he says, I'll arise again, that I am this Messiah. I am the resurrected King. And I will drink of this cup, and I will go through this baptism. And then what happens to John and to James? After, they, after Jesus is taken, they run. They really did not know what they asked for. They were not at Jesus' side when he was killed. But then we see when after they see their resurrected king, after they see Jesus in his glory, when they get the Holy Spirit, and when all of those things come together, how were these men changed? Now we see here that in Acts 12, James is killed by the sword. Herod kills him. When he got it, he realized that it was about service, that it wasn't about power or greatness. But he died serving he tasted, he drank from that cup, and he took that baptism because he was so committed to the gospel. He was so committed to his resurrected king. How could a man asking this question and saying so arrogantly, yeah, I can do it, I can do it, get to this point? And then we also see John. You know, John in church tradition, he uh, was the only of the 12 disciples who weren't killed but he still died in prison. He still died in exile because he was an old man and he had lived a long life for the gospel and he never turned his back on the gospel. 
How come, how, and what was it that this one man said at the end of his life, when he was an old man, when he had known the resurrected God for decades now? This man, somehow, who asked Jesus to be made great, wrote this in 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not live in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. I absolutely love how we see in God's word when people, when his people who messed up left and right, when they see the resurrected king, when they receive the Holy Spirit, they are never the same again. That the same two men who told Jesus uninformed that they could drink from the cup and they could experience that baptism, though they in no way would have been able to, one day they did. And one day they got it. They got it that the greatness and power in the kingdoms come when we say, Lord, I'm a slave to the work that you have to do that I am committing my whole life to the point of death and beyond it to proclaiming your name all over the world. I love how when we experience the resurrected King, when he comes into our minds and our hearts and our lives, when he changes stuff, and when we receive the Holy Spirit, that's not, nothing is ever the same again. A couple weeks ago, we talked. it was Easter, and we talked about what the resurrection means and the hope that we get. And City Life, people we know and love, Facebook friends, true life, true power, true significance comes when we serve Jesus first. And out of that service, we serve the entire world, whether they believe in Jesus or not. What a reminder in this quarantine season that we passionately go after the cross and how the cross makes us serve our neighbors, serve the people around us. I love that. I love how not me focused the gospel is. It tells me to be all the time. So what do, what do we do with this? Let's, let's get into our MC's calls this week. Let's process this a little bit. Again, I, I want to just remind us of, of what I shared before. Every time you're on an MC call or a prayer call, Come with your heart. Come with your heart wide open. And let's process these things together so that we give Holy Spirit room in our hearts and in our minds to change us in the same ways that we see John and James change. I want that change in my life. I still want to be great. Hopefully I want to be great in the right ways now. And so let's, let's jump into our IMC calls. Um, and here are our three prompts for the week. Prompt number one. Share an embarrassing story that exposed a time when you were expecting something and didn't get what you wanted. Just in the same way, I went to Hillsong concerts with the expectation that God was going to call me because I was so great. Tell, let's humble ourselves. Tell us of a, of a time in your life when you were just something embarrassed happen, embarrassing happened to you where you felt exposed. Prompt number two. How have you been served by believers in your past? None of us are where we are right now in our spiritual journey without people going ahead of us and serving us. 
So let's just think and reflect and be thankful for the times where God sent people in our lives to serve us. Prompt number three. How are you laying down your life for your brothers and your sister in this quarantine? Our call to be a church, our call to be great in service and in sacrifice to one another, to the world, and to non-believers has not changed at all in this season. So how do we as a church, how do you in your life, how, do you, how have you continued to serve the people around you? City Life, I love you. I wish to be together. We will be together soon. God is doing something great in, our, in your life, in our life. God is moving like he always does. And so let's go forward. Let's see what God has for us in this season. We've been praying for you guys. Join our MCs. Join the things that we do. Bring your heart every time because we want to be together. We want to share and we want nobody in the city, no one in our circles to be alone in this time. And so City Life, we love you. Let's jump on our, our MC calls and we'll, we'll talk to you guys soon. And so here's our final benediction for the day. I, I want to send this off. I want to bless all of you guys to go after the service, to go after our Christ in service for one another, for him and for people around you. This comes out of Romans 15. God says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in power, go in strength. Let's serve people today. We love you guys. Talk to you soon. Bye.